Okay, so today we're going to be looking at why are people so into Star Wars, and we're going to be trying to uncover a little bit about the cultural phenomena that it has become ever since it first came out. Today we are joined by writer, musician, and also my brother-in-law, Stephen Treffler. Hello. <laughs> Stephen, we, ha yeah, we have Stephen here because, first off, he's a huge Star Wars fan. And also because Adrian and I have known each other for so long uh, in different fandom spaces, and we've kind of interacted in the same kind of fandom world that we have kind of similar approaches to media. And with something like Star Wars that covers such a, uh, you know, that appeals to such a broad range of people, we felt it was really important to kind of bring in a little bit of a an outside or secondary opinion. I think everybody has an opinion about Star Wars. And I think that that's something that we also want to clarify here that none of us here are claiming that we are experts on Star Wars. So everybody just calm down. If you are listening to this, we are not experts. We're not claiming to be. Uh, we are just three nerds uh, trying to get to the bottom of why are people so into it and what is so interesting about it and a little bit about the history of Star Wars. So why don't we start with how our first experiences with Star Wars were when we were younger or when we first came across it or how did we first get into it? Yeah, I think I, for me, I remember being really, really young and we had uh, the original series on uh, VHS tapes and I know that purists will say that these were not the originals that they were not the unedited versions, but they were the versions without the horrible added scenes that were added in in the late 90s, I think it was, like the all of those little lovely additions that, that, came, that came later, like the singing and, and stuff like that. I, I don't know the exact date on those, but we definitely had like pre that. So whatever was out in the 80s, the mid 80s, we had a bunch of those VHS. And I remember just, you know, watching them with my brother, uh, and getting really, really obsessed with uh, Luke Skywalker. I was such a Luke girl. Luke was like my 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 absolute favorite. Which is funny to think about. Like if people were were Han Han girls or Luke girls, but uh, I was getting really, really into that. And um, and yeah, that's it. I don't think my my dad wasn't especially into it. It was just more me finding the VHS tapes and watching it and just thinking this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't have like the it sounds like you have some sort of ties to maybe the least edited versions. Um, but for me, it was like late 90s. Um, and I sort of stumbled across them. Um, it, they were my, my, my brother's movies. We, I was not very much not allowed to watch those kinds of movies. It was kind of a strict household. Um, but I snuck them in and was just, you know, completely enraptured um, by this entire universe that um, existed. But but for me, it, it just showed, you know, the depth that you could go to when telling a story to someone. And I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to explore a universe like that, create one of my own. And very early on, I completely... And to this day, um, am ripping off characters and locations and places as much and as often and unashamedly as possible. 
<clears throat> I think uh, we're going to touch on that a little bit more uh, right after this this kind of intro segment, but I'd love to really uh, do a little bit of a dive into the archetype than the world building in Star Wars and why it feels so familiar, but also it felt so new. So we're going to pause on that thought. I'm going to throw to Adri here. I'd love to hear a little bit about your beginning story because uh, some background when we started recording this, I have been convinced that Adri has never seen Star Wars and I don't actually know where or why I learned. I thought that. And I've, I've said it multiple times every time you've corrected me and I'm so sorry. Yeah, for some reason, I, I come up with the okay, vibe that I've never seen Star Wars in my life, but I actually ask the question because I don't have a clear memory of when I first saw Star Wars. It's always been in my life. I probably first saw it in my crib. Um, it's dialogue is part of the the common dialogue in my house. We say "May the Force be with you" the way we say "Hello" and "Goodbye." We, you know, quote randomness out of the movies all the time. And I don't remember when I first saw the movie. I just have always known it the way I've always known The Godfather. I don't remember the first time I've seen it. So I don't have that kind of like wow first flash experience with Star Wars like this is the moment my eyes opened because I was basically like came out of the womb with Star Wars already being a part of my life so that's why I asked the question because other people have like first encounter stories and I just always had it like I always knew these characters I always knew this kind of mythology and um, a lot of it kind of ties into the way that I think about religion and the way I think about interactions and the phrases I use so yeah it's really funny that Brie thinks I've never seen Star Wars because it's basically been always a part of my life because it spans generations it is no longer just something that one generation experienced it kind of becomes linked a little bit intrinsically to, to who people are so that it's not just a piece of media. I mean, and I think and that's ultimately kind of what we're kind of trying to kind of unlock a little bit here is about why why it has such stain power as opposed to something like, you know, there's a lot of really great media out there. There's a lot of really great uh, fantasy series. There's a lot of really great sci-fi series out there. Uh, but something about Star Wars has really resonated and not only resonated with people in this generation or the previous generation, but even the generation before. Like it's something that is like, part of people's identity and as part of our cultural identity i think it's interesting that that star wars is is defined as a space opera it's not really sci-fi it's not really science fiction um and part of the reason is it's science the science of it is is so loose and they super don't care that it's loose and i i absolutely love that it just does not care about the science of things which is beautiful because it cares about the person the, the the stories and the personalities behind it and all of all of the science all of the space setting serves as a vehicle to tell this sort of story like all of this is sort of putting forth this story and i think that that's like a difference where it's not really trying to justify any of the science stuff that's not what we're here for but i think it'd be kind of interesting to kind of discuss it a little bit about uh what what do we think the kind of overarching tropes or concepts are of Star Wars that make something quintessential Star Wars. So if, if it's not the science side of it, if we can establish that that's not it, mm -hmm. like they're not here to tell us about how they're moving through space. Um, what do you think is the is are the things that kind of define a Star Wars story for you? I think from the perspective that I come at it from, it's to do with legacy and to do with destiny and family and reaching back towards the past. It's not a very, for, for being a sci-fi, for being 
set in space, it's very much reaching towards the past and towards what came before and everything feels really ancient and worn and like like it's been stepped over before and it gets kind of cyclical and so it's not kind of I almost watch it like a period piece like it's 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 the story of a family and it's more closely related to like a soap opera like Dynasty than it is to Star Trek or other sci-fi media I think so when I think of Star Wars, I think of family drama. That's what that's the focus of it. That's really funny that you said period piece because I I I don't it, it's it's always on the tip of my tongue when I think about Star Wars. Like when I talk about Star Wars and it's like it feels wrong to say that. But it is totally it feels it does feel old. It feels like you know, especially to even the prequels. Like, I I actually do like a lot of aspects of the prequels. I know that that's an unpopular opinion, and I know they have flaws. But I will say that I think that there's, especially in the prequels, there's such this element of, like, I almost feel like I'm watching, like, Pride and Prejudice. Or, yes. like, like, something, you know, like, definitely, as opposed to anything like Star Like, it's it's so night and day. Like, not at all like Star Trek. It's not at all like Alien. It's not, not at all like any kind of uh, science fiction story that I've, I've kind of related to before. Like you said, Adri, you know, family conflicts, that kind of thing that you had mentioned is very much a relatable conflict that we all endure. It doesn't matter where you come from and what background and applying that into this world that has drawn you in makes you feel very much connected to it. Witnessing characters go through that makes you relate and empathize with them and their conflict. But it also paints it in this grandiose kind of light um, that is is hopeful, you know, um, at the end of the day. It's a very hopeful message, and I think it gets all of that kind of stuff right. Uh, for me, that's what draws me into it, you know, seeing that world, wanting to be a part of it, and then being shown that I can be a part of it because the types of conflicts and plights that these characters endure are not so dissimilar from my own. I think it's just that Star Wars is not afraid of, of like tackling these kind of big overarching subjects. And that that's something that like always, I think makes Star Wars feel really larger than life. Like they're, um, the, 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 the conflicts are always so large in Star Wars. Uh, and they're always kind of this like big, big sort of emotional kind of things. I don't know if that's tied into um, the kind of political themes. I don't know. I think it's just like thinking about lar larger scale versus smaller scale. And I think that that makes Star Wars super relatable because it keeps itself so, so big and so like uh, pulled back. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think though, like a very important component of that is at least in the original trilogy is those characters that for as as big as all of that is there are um there are characters that again are very relatable and you want to be around that are more important actually than what's going on 
you know, they take a whole break from the Battle of the Galaxy for like Luke to like rescue his friends. Like the the a lot of the original trilogy focuses on their relationships. You know, like the he him rescuing Han and Leia had like nothing to do with defeating. I mean, mm -hmm. it sort of it did because it was a trap set by his father to, to Darth Vader to kind of trap Luke by like having his friends in peril. But from a, a big, uh, bigger perspective, kind of pulled back, like that had nothing to do with defeating the Empire, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and they spent a whole lot of time him going and, and we met Lando and all of that stuff. That was really like a side quest in, in many yeah. ways. Uh, but it, it wasn't really, a, it didn't feel like a side quest because you were like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm with these people's relationships and following it. Yeah, and, and that's what's crucial to understand. I think that that's that, in fact, is a incredibly pivotal moment about what type of story we're experiencing with these trilogies. They call it the Skywalker saga for a reason. I think that that's one of those moments where you realize this is not about a band of rebels overthrowing the Empire. It's not about the uh, Chancellor coming to power as you know, an emperor. It's not about any of the things. It's, it's really, it's about uh, a much more, a much smaller microcosm of the conflict of family, which goes back to what you had said, Adri. But I think that that moment is an excellent tie into the prequel trilogies where, you know, he's very afraid of losing those that he loves and cares about and they keep telling him you you just need to let go of them you won't care if you lose them if you don't care about them right it's this super gaslighting thing but um but he he can't do that and then that and then uh you know the chancellor uses that that raw emotion and that promise that well i can help you out with that to eventually turn him to the sith in, in Empire Strikes Back, the same thing is happening with Luke Skywalker, and, and Yoda is, is telling him basically exactly what he told Anakin Skywalker for some reason, because that worked out so well. But he's telling Luke Skywalker, like, don't, don't care about them. Like, they're going to, you know, the, uh, they'll use that against you, all this kind of stuff. And, um, and, and even um, Ghost Kenobi is there saying the same thing and he's like dude don't do it and what does luke do he says you know forget about it i'm i don't care about this i'm done with with training as a jedi like my friends need me and he goes and he helps him out and i think ultimately his rejection of his his same rejection that his father had um was really important but he did it in a, in a very different way where he was motivated um motivated by that compassion for his friends and what they can gain from understanding the ways of the force is purely to support that compassion that they have for their friends and their concern for the well-being of their friends i recently watched um uh the last jedi uh, just for this podcast because I was listening to it. And there is a moment where she gets a vision of Kylo. 
Mm-hmm. And she and Ray is like, I have to go and help Kylo. I have to go and reach him. And and she say, and I was like, this has happened every trilogy. Someone is staying, telling their Jedi master, I gotta go. Like people need me. I had a vision. Like literally that, but like phrased differently, has happened every single time. But that happens with her. With with I I don't think the conflict for her was her connection with Finn. I think her conflict was this connection she was feeling with Kylo. So like instead of it being like her seeing Finn in danger or her seeing like her her seeing po- actually we hadn't really gotten the sense that they I don't think Lucasfilm accepted that the new trio was Ray Finn and Poe until like now. Like <laughs> I think I. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I think with the marketing, with the marketing, with yeah. this last, with the rise of Skywalker, the fact that it is literally, it's like, it's like Daisy, Oscar, and John, like doing the circuit, like just the trio, and they've been really pushing them as the trio hard. It's like they're super course correcting, and I got the sense. I remember during the 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 Last Jedi, people were like, "Do you guys not realize that like people think the new trio is." Poe, Finn, and Ray, like, but you're not marketing it like that. And I think they didn't quite realize that that was the like, that was the dynamic they set up. That everybody was like, oh yeah, that's it. And so I think my my point was is that the because of that, I think that Ray's sort of epiphany, vision, Jedi Master, uh, conflict didn't seem to be about any of the other people that we would think. We wouldn't, you know, we I would have thought it would have been about Finn or Poe or, or anyone in the Resistance, but her kind of conflict was about kylo where she was like i have to go to him and i have to save him and he was like no you have to complete your training like it's, it's like word for word everything that's happened in every trilogy i think there's super valid criticisms of the last jedi but i think um one thing one thing that i did appreciate even if i didn't like what they did with luke uh i appreciated one that was unexpected and that it was very like okay we we talked about part of the things that we like about star wars is this sort of heightened reality kind of mysticism kind of larger thing it it feels very larger than life the way people talk to each other everything like that everything feels very kind of larger than life what it did for me for luke was it made him very fallible and very real and very like just a dude like a flawed guy i mean it makes it makes it really hard to be super excited about his story in the in the the original Mm -hmm. trilogy but i i i do i do appreciate that and just because it was like like it was so i mean i think I, i don't think unexpected storytelling is always good and i think sometimes a lot of storytellers <clears throat> Game of Thrones, uh, think that 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 doing something unexpected. Other show doing, we won't mention. Yeah, do, doing something unexpected is is the same as doing something well. Uh, mm-hmm. Something could be expected, and it's still the right choice. Uh, but I do think that that's something that's kind of really interesting. With uh, well, you with, can also do you can also create a situation where you didn't see something coming. I think that there's two reactions that can happen with something that is unexpected. The first reaction is that makes no fucking sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. That makes no sense. The The other reaction is, oh, wow. I get that. Uh, one, one, of, one of those paths requires some setup. And the reality is that, you know, I'm fine. I'm fine with, with Luke being exactly the character that he is in The Last Jedi. I think that he was not at all set up to be that. 
And that's the problem, is that they decided from 0.001 seconds into Last Jedi that Luke was going to be that character. I could be completely wrong about that, but that's the feeling. I mean, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was some of the best acting in the movie but it felt kind of out of pace with the rest of the characters like everybody was at their at their soap opera best doing their their pride and prejudice dialogues and luke's just tired and wants to go like feed his porgs like he's done and so he was like at a different speed at a different pace than everybody else so it felt a little off but I didn't yeah. find it, I think, as surprising. Because you guys keep talking about like a surprise or something unexpected. I didn't find it unexpected. I just found it like it was a, a character jump that we didn't get to see. Which I feel happens a lot in Star Wars. Because there's not often a lot of time to spend with each individual character. Because there are so many. I think that's something that that's that's like important to kind of think about with Star Wars. Is more than a lot of media I consume, I... I have this understanding that, like, uh, how can I phrase this? That the execution is rarely exactly what I want it to be, but it's so not religious. It it feels so big that 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 I still appreciate so much of it, and it's like I feel like it's just adding to the like canon of yeah. this universe and this world that I've kind of the, the Star Wars world that's built. That makes sense. Like that, I feel like like I get very pre- like I love Star Wars, but I get less precious about some of the specific details of things I don't like in Star Wars because for me, it's it's like it's like a drop in a bucket. It's just it's just one aspect of this beautiful rich complex world that i'm kind of like experiencing and seeing this huge culture of the expanded universe and the novelizations and there's just so much more to it than you can ever even consume that maybe that's why it feels like a drop in the bucket and it's kind of like here's the gospel here's the canon being handed down to you interpret that as you will it's not like you know, this is it, and it's very specific, and you can't wiggle yourself out of it. It's like, here it is, and it's kind of like a broad stroke of where this story is going and the moral it's trying to give you, and you interpret that and apply that as you will. At least that's how I receive it. So it mm-hmm. kind of has this kind of like, here's the canon text, and and feel about it the way you will and, and play with it the way you will. I think it, it points back to being you know the brilliance of it and why it is where it's at now is because of the vastness and implied depth of the world not not what's defined but what specifically is not defined that's what's engaging for everyone i mean boba fett is a really great example of that right like this dude who has how many lines in the original trilogies you know like not a main character at all becomes this icon you can see from this character that there is a story there and people just want to that's what they're so engaged with is 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 the reality that there is something there and it's not defined and they can run with it and and identify with it in whatever way works so something kind of really interesting about star wars is the fact that they 
they don't really talk about human beings as like a thing. Like people, people aren't a thing. Humans aren't a thing. Earth isn't a thing because it's in a galaxy far, far away a long, long time ago. Uh, and that's kind of a really like interesting part of Star Wars that I think really lends itself to it being more fantasy than sci-fi. Like what is, what are your, your guys' thoughts on that? So I, I knew that Earth wasn't a thing. Um, and I realized that it happened a long, long time ago, but I didn't realize that there weren't humans actually human beings in star wars until about 20 hours ago when i started binge watching the mandalorian and i got into episode three and started googling stuff because i felt like i didn't know enough about the extended universe to be following everything that was happening and i wanted to know more about the mandalorians as a people and then realize that they're not a species people they're just a cultural people so it's very much like that's when it hit me that human beings are not a category it's more of a what planet do you come from or what culture are you following at least in that specific show or that specific um subset of of the universe but yeah that's when it hit me that there's no human beings as we know them in star wars that's like super that's a a really big aspect of star wars that i think we don't talk about enough about how much it's not people there's not humans here at all um and uh and that is kind of like a really interesting thing i mean i think i definitely it was pretty recent that it really hit me about the fact that it is not there aren't aren't any humans i mean steven what do you what do you, what do you think about that um i honestly you know i think it's a great uh it's a cool fact to whip out <laughs> you know these are humanoids luke skywalker is a humanoid uh, as much as Chewbacca is, but um, I also don't think that there's any creative intention behind it, motivating it whatsoever from a concepting standpoint. I think it's just kind of a consequence of creating a huge world and and understanding what should be and what shouldn't be defined, and you know, it's just it's it's another element. It's another fact that just actually enriches that whole universe. Mm-hmm. That's where I stand with it. I, I don't think George Lucas was like, hey, guys, you know, 1975 writer's room or whatever, <laughs> which I'm sure didn't happen. But he's like, hey, guys, look, listen, one thing's for certain. I don't know what's going to happen with <laughs> Vader, but I'll tell you this much. Do not say human. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a kind of an interesting. I mean, I think that makes it for for me. That's what makes it so much of a fantasy. I mean, that's kind of a a thing. I think right, right. Um, this is making me feel very very open with all of us here. And I would like to share that um, I was awkwardly deep into my Star Wars obsession when I fully realized what a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away meant. And and not saying that, you know, like you see them on the, the crawl mm-hmm. in the beginning of the, of the movies. But I was like, I 
I actually, I don't, I don't actually feel comfortable saying how old I was when I realized, but it was definitely not like recent, but it was definitely older than I would like to, where I really was like, oh my God, it's the past. Like it hit me so hard. And I was like, oh my, no, oh no. Like, I don't know why that just never, you just don't think about it. Like you just sort of like brush it off, but it was just like that moment. And I feel like it's, I will say if nothing else, that is George Lucas's biggest stroke of genius in regards to the Star Wars universe. Like whoever told him that or suggested that, if any of our listeners are would like to correct us and message us about this, I want to know. Uh, but I want to know, like, wh- when did that happen? When, when did he make that decision? Uh, sorry, I used to think when I was younger and like probably when I was like 10 or so that the saga would end with them arriving on Earth. And then I watched other things in my life and realized that was the plot of another of sci-fi franchise. <laughs> but um yeah, and then, then the far, far away hit me, which, like, yeah, it's pretty much impossible for them to ever come to Earth if they're in a galaxy far, far away. Well, we we know of at least one uh, species that's in the Star Wars universe that did make it to Earth. <gasps> and that's what? E.T., the extraterrestrial. <laughs> you guys know about this? Say more right no. now. No. Yeah, e- E.T. is in, in Phantom Menace, you know, when they're showing all of, you know, the, the, the Senate, there's all of those little wheels thing, the platforms that they hang out on that, that is representative of all the planets and everything. One of them is full of E.T.'s, the, um, whatever that species is. All this reinforces for me is that I want a Lucas Spielberg greater cinematic universe. Like I, I want, I've, I've now, I'm, I'm speaking this into existence, and it's now true that oh all my God. Of George Lucas films <laughs> and Steven Spielberg films exist in the same cinematic universe. And they're trick or treating. Mm-hmm. Et sees Yoda, uh, someone in a Yoda costume, and like points at him and stuff. Because he recognizes his species. <laughs> yeah, he recognizes it. And then, you know, then you start to get into like, well, is E.T. when he's like healing Elliot and phoning home and, and stuff, like, is he a force sensitive being because he comes from <laughs> the same galaxy? I want to take uh, some time and make sure that we, we give some space to talking a little bit about the religious iconography in Star Wars. So we've talked a lot about kind of the tropes and the kind of... Uh, familial aspects of it and all of that kind of stuff and i think um we we we've been talking around this religious aspect but star wars is very heavy-handed with its religious iconography like adri i think i know that you had mentioned uh you know in addition to kind of the original the original trilogy and the sequel and all of that kind of stuff uh you've been watching the mandalorian and you said that you saw kind of a lot of kind of catholic uh, uh catholic parallels in the mandalorian so I was watching The Mandalorian yesterday. I'm catching up because I I haven't seen it yet. And I'm on episode three when, um, spoilers, by the way, for episode three, he's handing over the child and he's being paid in these silver bricks. I'm And if I'm understanding the show correctly, that specific metal is sacred to, to Mandalorians or it's very special to his tribe in particular. But that's when it hit me like a ton of, silver bricks he's being paid in silver to turn in this very special child and betray him and that could not be a more strong judas metaphor 
then all of the Catholicism of watching Star Wars throughout my life hit me. If you've ever talked to a Catholic who's watched Star Wars before and their immediate response to may the force be with you is and also with you, uh, it's just there's a lot of intrinsic Catholicism in the dialogue and the iconography and the everything about Star Wars. Like Anakin was a virgin birth child. Totally, totally. I mean, that's the thing too. Like the, um, I was gonna say, I was hoping that you'd bring up the like, may the force be with you and also with you. Do you guys still say that? I thought you didn't. You guys change your thing. Didn't it used to be? Didn't it used to be and also with you? But then you guys did something different. Oh, so every other language was following the Latin and saying and with your spirit, but English wanted to be special and said and also with you, and I like it better. But um, now they've gotten with every other language in the world. I do want to talk a little bit about the villains in Star Wars and how much they've they've been a, a part of our kind of popular culture. What I was saying about what the Jedi believe versus the Sith, which would be the villain of you know the the main villains of the story, it really has to do with this idea of how you handle emotion. And I think that um, what the Jedi what their whole practice is, again, I don't know if I would call it a religion, there's no deity there, right? And maybe the force might be a stand-in for that. But the way that they handle emotion is to, um, is to snuff it out and bury it and not utilize it. And it's no wonder that what you end up with on the other side of that is highly emotionally volatile villains who their whole identity is around the expression of anger and sadness and loss and all of that kind of stuff. I think that's why you end up with your emo hot topic, Sith. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to put on my psychology hat. It's, it's much maybe less about religion and more about the superego versus the id and the balance of the two making functional beings if not human beings because if you have the sith and they're just wrecking stuff every time they have a hissy fit and you have the jedi just repressing themselves to death and neither of those without balance between the two is is going to work for anybody i i almost wanted to stand up and start cheering because as soon as you said that i was like wait that's what that's what they needed to have happen was balance of the force it's because the jedi are are like the ego Right, the ego is the logical part, right? Yeah, but I they're the well, the, the, they're the super ego, no. super ego. Okay, so super, su- okay, so su- super ego. Sorry, I just I don't I don't know the thing. So super su- super ego, right? They're like the logical part. Yeah. Okay, and then id the id or the Sith, right? And yeah, but you can't have an actualized self if you don't have this kind of unity of self. And I think that that it ties into that that like the Jedi are too logical, they're too fudgy, they're too out of touch. They they aren't realistic with how people live, and the Sith are too much of this id. They're too unrestrained, whatever they want to do all the time, whatever. Both sides are bad. But whenever they've thought about bringing balance to the force, the good guys have always thought it's like bring balance to the force. Of course, it means that like we're going to get rid of the bad guys. But it's like you're also the bad guys. Like you're also you're also wrong. Like you're, you're also, also extremist doing... in your own yeah, way. Yeah, you're, you're also extremist and you're also doing it this way. And it's like I, I, I wonder and I hope that as this 
saga kind of draws to a close that they may find a way to kind of touch on that because I feel like we never actually saw what balance in the force looked like. I think I think that's one of the interesting things though about the last Jedi specifically is I think that that's the closest we've come to to understanding what balance looks like actualized. It's not going to happen necessarily with the Jedi because their entire practice is around uh, you know very uh, is around one side uh, uh, one expression of the force in the same way that the sith has their own and and one of the things with the last jedi was seeing i I don't know how else to say it except for normal people uh utilizing the force you know you see that 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 boy uh sweeping the stables at the end on um canto canto bite uh I think that's how you say Canto Bite. Is that right? Um, and and so like that that to me is the first time we've seen what does what does the balance what does balance in the Force look like? Well, it looks like neither a Jedi nor a Sith being the sole mm-hmm. users of and, and of the Force and the, and the only people who are in tune with it. In fact. It's something that belongs with everyone. And so in order to create balance, it needs to be something that is not exclusive. So, mm-hmm. so, so balance is Leia. Who is a force user yeah. who is not. Right, right. That's a good point. Yeah. Swayed by either religion, but rather focused on the present and the people. Yeah. Um, I want to take a little bit of time to talk about the music of Star Wars. Um, so George Lucas had said that, um, you know, 90% of the Star Wars films are music, uh, and that he described it almost as like a silent film in, in the way that music is supposed to really kind of carry the story and the emotional context. And apparently that is something that is a cue that he told John Williams, uh, when he was sort of pitching the idea of the story to him was the idea that it's like, it's basically I'm doing a silent movie and I need to have it kind of be, have the music needs to be written kind of like that so that it embodies the kind of character elements uh, aspect of it, like knocks it out of the park. It is absolutely stunning. Uh, And it didn't need to go that hard, but because it did, it's like, it, it completely takes something that I think could have been like great, but it completely elevates it. So I'd like to take a little bit of time to talk about uh, what everybody's kind of experiences are and, and, and relationship is to, to John Williams score. When you're watching these movies and you're watching the conflict and growth of these characters, the response to this world, you know, the response of Luke being thrown into this world, they have their own score to it that it's just a part of John Williams' brilliance of just being able to take that and put it into an auditory medium that so well enriches the character themselves. So I, I think, uh, you know, all that to say, hearing a specific theme that is for Yoda or for Darth Vader or Luke or Ray, I think that um, that's, 
lending towards that cohesive look at the journey that the characters are following and that you're you're following it's you know actually i have to say that the most amazing experience that i had with with john williams music and again this this really ties back into the kind of all-encompassing what we've kind of been talking around about all-encompassing aspect of star wars and why it's such a cultural kind of touchstone is it's like it touches so many different aspects of our lives like uh i got to see when i was in college i got to see john williams perform star wars music at the Hollywood Bowl and I had I was in college and I, I had like two days off and I remember I flew down my brother was living in LA at the time and I flew down there and me and him got to go we brought in a couple of bottle of wine a couple couple of bottles of wine into into the Hollywood Bowl and got to sit and listen to John Williams perform Star Wars music and everybody had they had these like star like uh lightsabers that they were like giving out that were like part of the show that we could like hold up instead of lighters like during like emotional parts in the show and it was like thinking about that that moment of just like where they're playing like do 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 and everyone was like do do like people were raising lightsabers I was like I literally I was like I felt like I was like it was like religious like and I don't even say that lightly I say that like it really was like no, I get that. Right? Like, yeah. it felt so... I was like, this is like... Like, I'm feeling this in, like, in some part of my, like, deep lizard brain. Like, so, you know, like, it was so... It was deeper than just being like, oh, I like this movie soundtrack. It was like... Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's... I think that's, like, part of... Part of the the I, I would say that like Star Wars hit such a perfect storm of of aspects of that. Like I think the music cannot be underplayed. The the music is like it it like triggers that kind of really like sticky part in your brain uh, about it like kind of sticking with you. But it's like in combination with these broad cultural themes, in combination with these religious themes, in combination with the political themes, all of those things kind of working together, like makes it be this like cultural juggernaut that is like i i think we we had even in our notes here it, it, that it was it's the most merchandised franchise in the world which is like crazy to think about like that that and that's just like one aspect of it but that just sort of shows i think this is like prevalent so it's just like so it, it's hitting on so many different angles i mean but of course it is because if you can't have a lightsaber why wouldn't you go to toys r us and buy a lightsaber oh my god I, I want to I, say too that that George Lucas was a um, more. I mean, he was almost more involved with the merchandising, you know, than than producing some of these movies. Um, I know that was a huge part of it. I could be completely wrong. You might not even want to put that in there. No, I have. Uh, I mean, I have I'm it here. Like, I mean, I have it here, uh, and I think it's definitely worth noting that. So, uh, Hollywood Reporter. This is this article they they said that the you know is the most merchandise franchise in the world that george lucas decided to take a pay cut a five hundred thousand dollar pay cut uh, which is probably crazy in 1977 uh i somebody quickly do the math for me but whatever uh but he decided to take a pay cut uh in exchange for full ownership of the franchise's merchandise uh and the first six films produced 20 billion dollars in merchandising revenue that's like bananas like that's crazy yeah so the math on that is um it's a really good deal for him <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah, it's a very good deal i mean and they continue to do marketing things although i would say you know uh 
Adrian, you mentioned things like lightsabers and and obviously there's so many aspects of of uh, Star Wars that are clearly engineered to be great toys, uh, like droids and porgs and things like that, uh, that they just like put in there to kind of make make good toys. Uh, it's kind of really interesting that they overlooked that for Baby Yoda. That will not yeah, be available. Yeah, how did for they not? Christmas. How did they not see that coming? By the way, I just want to say, side note. I, again, I, I don't think this will be a part of your thing, but I just have to get it out there that I think the Mandalorian is terrible. <gasps> <laughs> no, we have to how, keep it in there. Much? No, we're not putting that in there. And also, how much have you watched, Steven? I've seen all of them, I, and I think that like the thing that's not being said about this show is how awfully written it is, about how there's no character that you can follow. There is a great meme generator, Baby Yoda. Great, cool. Let's let's go viral with that shit. But there is nothing of substance in that show whatsoever. But okay, I think that's a fair <laughs> critique. But I also think that, um. We talked earlier about my needs for Star Wars fiction and how it differs from like regular stuff. But I think one thing that I I found really fascinating is that like I approach The Mandalorian differently than a TV show. It almost feels like uh I don't know how to explain it, but like I I, I see what you're saying, but like I I it's I it, it like registers a different part of my brain than like a regular TV show that I expect certain types of things out of. It almost is like a like almost like an internet TV show. Like a, that's like what I was a, about to say. It feels like webisodes that go up to like the release mm-hmm. of a movie. Like they're just a webisode sort of thing, not like yes. a show that you're supposed to be following yeah. the thread. Yeah, of. definitely. It's just yeah. like filler stuff. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Uh huh. You know, Blade, Blade Runner had that same... Th- so Blade Runner, they did a couple of those, like, promo episodes. Mm-hmm. But the thing that annoys me is that, like, I just feel like in this Disney era of Star Wars is that they can literally brand it with Star Wars and we're supposed to just accept that as being consumable. And I think that... I love the Star Wars universe. I have loved it long before there was anything except for three movies. And... Um, and some comics and I think that you don't need to settle for hollow storytelling it's such a rich universe there's there there are so many stories to tell and the consequence is that we as fans are going to get bad you know um, products because we're showing them hey we'll take whatever you've got we are trying to get to the bottom of what is the Star Wars universe and why it's so important and why it's important as like a cultural element. And I think that it is important. Like criticism is important too. Like why? Um, but I think it's interesting to think about like, why do we hold it to a different standard? You know, like <laughs> that's, I, I think we, we, we do hold it to a different standard. And I think that that's like, is it because it's like, it's not just a TV show. It's also like our childhoods, like, just where I store Star Wars in my head is along with Indiana Jones and with um, what's the other thing I had in mind? Um, Jurassic Park and things that it just is something I'm willing to accept whatever I'm handed from that universe, even if it doesn't make any 
logical plot or scientific or otherwise sense. I'm just going to take it and keep consuming it. And some of them will be better than others, but I'll still, I will still consume it, even if it's not top notch. I don't know I'm, why. I'm with, I'm with you on that. I think that like, I, what I wonder is how that mentality will be shaped as an, a generation of, of Star Wars fans grow up watching Clone Wars on Saturday mornings with their cartoons. Whereas we come from a background of just these three movies and the original trilogy and nothing. And so once anything came out, we had to just drink it up and prove we're here. We're ready for more Star Wars. Like, give us everything you got. And I'm still very much in that mentality, too. Like, Disney, I'm, there are a lot of people that hate the fact that Disney acquired, you know, these, these movies and the rights to it. But I'm a huge fan. I like these new movies. I like the slate of movies that are coming out. I like the Star Wars stories movies. I'll watch them all. I love them. But I do think that it's important as we, as we think about what is the obsession with it. Well, there is an obsession with it. And it's not just something that is shared among fans. It's something that is eagerly monetized by people who don't care about it nearly as much as we do. And so at some point, we're going to have to look at what we're being offered and reject it and say, this is not worthy of what we love. Holy crap, that's a really good closing. That really, Sorry, you I'm really like wrapped, no, you like really bow-tied it, I loved it. I like that you just went there, you know, whether or not we're there culturally yet, whether or not we're going to start questioning it. Um, but I hope that we've kind of, we've spent the past you know, hour or so, depending on how tightly we edit this, uh, trying to kind of get to the root of some of our obsession with uh, our obsession with Star Wars. And I hope that we've been able to kind of unpack a little bit of this. This is all leading up to the new, the kind of new movie that is coming out on the 20th. And uh, depending on how that goes, we may want to do a little kind of separate recording about our responses, our kind of immediate responses to that movie. Uh, if you like what you heard, you can subscribe to us on Spotify and iTunes, and you can also uh, support us over on Patreon, where we have a lot of really great perks for people if they want to uh, follow us over on there that include bonus episodes and extra features and uh, early release of episodes. You can follow us over on Twitter on The Obsession Pod if you would like to let us know how wrong we are about our Star Wars opinions. You are welcome to add us at that, but I cannot promise you that we will respond to it. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our podcast episode, and may the Force be with you. And also with you. 